morning, the title of the sermon, I'm going to share several things before I get to the scripture text, just to make you, help us draw into the scripture, but uh, the title of the sermon is Conception and Misconception. I saw that word, I was reading some devotions by Pastor Jack Hayford about his Christmas devotion from a few weeks ago, and I felt led that I would preach on Matthew, the second chapter, but I saw that word misconceptions, and then there's the word conception, so here at Christmas, we celebrate. We do all this with the Advent wreath, the, the decorations, the celebration, the chrismons, and the ladies are handmade, and all of it's pointing to that's what our God is like, isn't it? Those scriptures preached on the lamp would remind us of this miraculous conception of God, but the world has a lot of, a lot of misconceptions about Christmas, and so I want to talk about some of those things. Let me ask you a question, though, first. Do you have it all figured out? Do you have it all figured out? This is what I mean. Where you're going to meet at Christmas this year, whose house you're going to eat at this year, and at what time. Y'all do work all those details out. Y'all just nod and say if you're with me. You're working all that out. Where are you going to eat? Some of you hadn't settled in on that. You're still working it out. Then you got you got to deal with the in-laws and the outlaws and all that's mixed in there. And and you know the outlaw the outlaws always want it their way. But keep in mind that you may be the outlaw to them. So so that's in the mix too. We met at your parents last year on Christmas. We want you to meet at our house on Christmas this year put a lot of expectations on each other and the way that it, that it ought to be. There, there ends up being sometimes a lot of tension, a lot of frustration because it doesn't work out that way. Y'all tell me, y'all not giving me much feedback. Y'all are keeping quiet because y'all kin to each other and you're looking across the pew where you're meeting over there. Now, I know this doesn't happen to every family, but most of them it does. And we work it out with my family. I've got, I've got in-laws. Got one of them kin to my wife that always shows up late. I'm not going to give any names, but we have to wait. I'm hungry. We're just waiting, and it happens every year. I know that doesn't happen. Stuff like that doesn't happen in your family, but a lot of times we create because of expectations. There's tension and so forth. Frustration sets in. Then there are those who wish they could have some tension overcome that, but they don't have any. We have some connected in our church that have to be alone. So that's a reality that some of them are dealing with. And so while there is a great deal of joy, and there should be at Christmas, there's also a great deal of, of depression this time of the year. I've observed as a pastor, it seems like the counseling gets a little more. In fact, after Thursday worship, Thursday night, I guy was waiting he needed to talk just badly depressed so a lot of misconceptions and but yet in the middle of it all there's this miraculous conception of God God had a plan I want to remind you that our God did not show up in a perfect little world you know sometimes that the biblical story uh, we, we paint the picture different nativity scenes that we put out or 
was just the way it was. It was just so perfect. And, of course, the cattle weren't, you know, they were just being perfect. And and then the sheep, God, they did it perfectly because it was no bigger. But we know it wasn't like that. We're about to leave here in a moment. Man, the first Christmas wasn't any like that. I want to give you three things again before we read. Christmas creates a great deal of dynamic tension itself. Some of the same extremes that we are about to read here in Matthew, the second chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. They still exist today. Some are troubled by Jesus. We're going to read in a minute that Herod, he was troubled. There's a lot of people around the world don't like Christianity. So that tension is still with us today. While others, on the other hand, and those of us here, I hope, I hope your intention of coming was to worship. You came to worship the Christ. And we're going to read the Magi came. I hate to disappoint you. There may have been more than three of them. You know, the Bible never says there were three wise men. There were three gifts, and so we assume. But more than likely, there were many more Magi. Probably a lot more folk from that entourage of that journey that they were making came to worship the Christ. And we have these extremes even today. The world did not want to claim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and they sure won't claim that He came in the flesh. But here we are. We worship Him, so we've got that tension. Same tension that existed there. Second thing I want to point out to you, as we read this text in Matthew, the second chapter, I want you to notice that in the 18 verses we're about to read, there are three prophets. We've been studying the minor prophets for the last few months. In fact, Wednesday, we looked at Micah. We're in the book of Micah, one of the minor prophets. And Micah 5, 2 is one of the prophecies that we're about to read. Now, Micah wrote that about 722 before Christ came, 720, 730 years before Christ came. The, the second prophecy we're about to read in the Christmas story comes from Hosea. Remember, Hosea is the one that God taught his people Israel that I'll love you so much that I'll purchase you and I'll buy you back. And so God said to Hosea, I want you to go buy your wife back. Just let Israel know how much he loved them. And so Hosea was given a prophecy in Hosea 11.1 1, that we're about to read. It was written around 750 years before Christ. The third one is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was written somewhere around 605 years before Christ. So a lot of span of time, three different people, and we're going to read these prophecies here in a moment that were fulfilled in the Christmas story. So I say all that to ask you a question. Why is prophecy important to you? Should be. It should be important to you. Why is that? Why is prophecy important? The third thing I want to remind you of and is that we live in a very secular world that has a lot of misconceptions about Christmas. There is the secular worldview versus the biblical worldview. So as believers, as sons and daughters of God, we're supposed to have a biblical worldview of things. But sometimes it comes in conflict with the secular worldview. So how do we resist the secular worldview, the world spirit at Christmas? Don't get me wrong, I enjoy all the festive stuff. I love the binder gifts. I love all that. But how do I keep that balance of making sure I'm focused on what Christmas is really like? Some of you receive the 3D devotions that we send out. If you're not on that email list, Pastor Sal, we write devotions during the week, and usually it's 
Tyler and I are preaching, we give sermon notes, a little bit of hint of what's coming up in the Scripture. Sometimes it changes, but I want to share with you the prayer that I wrote. And I promise you that sometimes when I write them, I don't realize I'm not helping me. And so anything now, I look back at this prayer that I had written. This is the prayer. You don't have to close your eyes. You can pray it as if it's a person you saved. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming into my tension-filled world. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my tension-filled world. As I walk with you today and this Christmas season, may your abiding presence remind me that you desire for me to be filled with hope and love and joy and peace. Please, I say it was for me. Tomorrow Sunday is when I die. I go get him every morning. I think Wednesday morning and, and the virus. Has the virus gone through your family? Well, the virus went through their family, but that's not good for a dialing station. It's not good for anybody. But I got there early Wednesday morning, and Dave did not feel good. So sick, we had to call Dallas and say, he ain't going to make it. Well, if you're Dallas's patient, you need to make it. But he didn't make it. He knew that was going to cause complications, and it did. There's a lot of tension today, and I give you thank you for coming into my tension-filled world. Thank you for coming into Dave's tension-filled world. And by the way, he had a good dialysis on Friday, and they took him back yesterday and pulled some more kilos off of him. Our world has tension in it. But our God decided to come into this world to remind us Emmanuel, God with us. When all else fails, He's still God. Now let's read the text. Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to stop along the way because it's rather lengthy, but I want you to notice the three prophecies. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So wise men came from the east. They're traveling to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who is to be born king? Of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. That's why we've come. We've seen the star. We're going to come. They're traveling. They're in Jerusalem. Just remind you that Jerusalem is north of Bethlehem, about six miles. So they're still going to keep traveling. But they ask, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? We want to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. That's still true today. There are people troubled by the name of Jesus. They want to live their life the way they want to. They want to accept Christ. Verse 4, And when he had gathered, that is Herod, he gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people together. He inquired of them, Where is the Christ to be born? So they knew the prophecy. They knew Micah 5 too. So in verse 5 they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, But you... Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's the first prophecy. Verse 7, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, you go and you search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. He had ulterior motives. 
When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Exceedingly great joy. They were happy about it. Here, he's troubled about it. Verse 11, And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. You and I need to be open to the Holy Spirit to give us divine information, insight, what's going on in our thinking-filled world. They were divinely warned. They departed another way. Verse 13, Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and they departed for Egypt. They left in the middle of the night. It was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I will call my son. And that from Hosea, written several hundred years before. Another prophecy in Christ coming to this earth. earth. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry. He sent forth and put to death. He put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then, as it was fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The third prophecy that was given. God knowing this and even from Jeremiah giving, giving word to these three prophets hundreds of years in advance, knowing that that's what would happen. And Herod probably knowing that his soldiers wouldn't know the difference between a two-month-old and a 15-month-old said, just kill them all from two years down. And that happened. And it fulfilled a prophecy. One of these three prophets to wrestle with all this. In this secular world that we're in, our own trying to discern it, keep a biblical worldview. When Herod the king heard it, the Bible says he was troubled. We should not be surprised at the dynamic tension that Christmas creates. On the one hand, our world fills its stores with commercial pursuits, but yet on the other hand, it argues against Christianity's right to put a nativity scene in the public square. See, that tension still exists today. And again, I, I like all the buying and the gifts and everything. It's fun to do that. I don't want to let it control my Christmas. I still want the nativity scene where it can be seen. It is the way of the secular world's spirit, the secular world's mindset, to want the prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, but not itself, the prophet. Yes, give us the prophet of what Christmas will give us, but forget the prophet. We can't with the church. Prophecy matters. When Herod met the wise men who seemed to promise commerce, 
in Egypt. He was ready to assist in their journey. It was good business. Cooperate with these wealthy men traveling through the territory. And he discovered that their journey had been prompted, though, by prophecies of another king he got troubled by. We need to be careful. We need to be careful not to be distracted by the misconceptions or the distortions of the secular world spirit here at Christmas. Now, we know that we have to be in the world. Jesus said that in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways was you are going to have to be in the world, but don't be of it. I also remind you in John 16, Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Have some joy. I have overcome the world. So, brothers and sisters, just simply stay the course. You keep going to Bethlehem. Go to Bethlehem. The pathway to Bethlehem may be doubted by the world, but it's still the pathway of hope and love and joy and redemption and the salvation that we celebrate with everyone. Stay on the track. Keep going to Bethlehem. It's a big deal. Our God's here. Right in the middle of this world. Luke 2, 4. Luke tells us, Joseph also went up into Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the household of the lineage of David. Remember he got sent there? So kind of an appointment, strange, soul-stirring way. It's kind of powerful. It's interesting to watch the management management of our sovereign God as he makes Bethlehem a golf course for human history. Just all the coincidences, all those prophecies, they're all coincidences. But God moves the emperor of Rome to pass an edict which will result in Joseph's return to his family's hometown and thereby Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Now, you know, Joseph faintly at all probably knew that. He probably thought, my goodness, they're going to have a census right now this time of the year. I got a, I got a wife, nine months pregnant. We got to travel. But the government said we got to do it. And all along, God was setting the course. They're in Bethlehem when they got to it. Not a coincidence. God moves the stars and the planets to a unique convergence, which will prompt a group of eastern wise men to study the phenomenon in conjunction with ancient scriptures and come to worship at Bethlehem. They already knew Micah 5-6. God arranges for a crowded inn so that his son would be forced to be birthed in a stable and never be accused of having been advantaged through high birth. None of these things happened by accident. They are executed by the God Why is prophecy important? Why do we read here three prophecies given to us? It is because I've said this 183 times, and here's my 184th one. Prophecy matters because what the prophecy gives us something to sink the teeth of our faith into, of the authenticity of God's Word, so that the Holy Spirit could give to three different people to write hundreds of years in advance of Jesus and put it in the Christmas story in Matthew in 18 verses so that he could let you and I know 
I'm Lord of my life. I'm the king of kings. Now look there and down there. How does, how does that affect you and me? It affects me and mine. It affects you in your daily life. So as we travel to Bethlehem this Christmas, it's wise for us to think on these things. Jesus is Lord. A lot of times when things happen, we may not fully understand it, but we trust God. And I'm confessing to you this, some days I trust Him better than others. There are some days, I'm just being honest with you, I go, really God? Tell me you don't do that. You don't have to admit it. I will. I'll admit it for you. Lord. hope that you will still experience joy right in the middle of the tension that this world can bring that we live in. Someone said only a believer in Jesus, only a believer in Jesus can have a sad time and a glad time all at the same. I think that's true. Joy in the midst of uncertainty because I trust my God who came into this world and said I'm going to show up in Bethlehem to let you know that I'm with you. When you meditate, I'm going to close with this, when you meditate on the miraculous conception of our Messiah, our Messiah, don't let all the misconceptions that are bothering you around Christmas pull you away. When all else fails, we still Sing Emmanuel. God's with us. God is with us. And he's refusing to allow the world to pull us away. Let's pray together. God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for reminding us of the, of the power of prophecy that gives us authenticity into your word. God, give us grace today. I do. I pray that for each of my brothers and sisters. Give us grace for today in your word. We love you and we praise you. We thank you, God. Now move in our hearts and remind us, Emmanuel, God is with us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing hymn.